Um, I guess I have a little bit of a preamble too, but the difference between me and Heather is I don't care if it gets recorded or not. <laughs> so, can you hear me in the back? Oh, didn't see that. Let's see. How about now? No? Sounds like I'm talking really loud. Now? Ooh. <laughs> All right. So just before um, moving into sharing a little bit of my thoughts and observations in relationship to the hindrances, I wanted to backtrack um, to one thing and then um, bring something else forward. So what I wanted to backtrack to is when I introduced myself in the beginning, I kind of told you a little bit about some of the influences um, in terms of teachers for myself. But a big influence and a big support and a big benefactor and a big uh, significant teacher for me has been Joseph Goldstein. So I just wanted to bring him uh, forward and, and let you all know that. And the other piece I wanted to bring forward, uh, some of you who sat with me at uh, IMS in part two, uh, know that I have a deep abiding respect and love for my mother. So tomorrow, my mother's going to be 95. It's her birthday tomorrow. And um, she's all here in mind. Her mind is very clear and she's very adept and I tell people that if it had been a different time, with different conditions, she could have been the President of the United States. Because she's a woman that knows what she's doing and sees things clearly. So I wanted to say happy birthday, Mom. And the other person that I wanted to bring forward um, as I sit with you tonight is my husband, Samaj because it's because of his willingness. You know, I know all of us have to pull things together uh, to come to a retreat. And just imagine I'm doing this all the time, right? And so my husband, Samaj, out of his willingness um, and his love for my mother, um, he, he keeps the home fires burning. He picks up the slack. He really allows me to come and go with freedom of mind and no worry. So I wanted to have them here this evening as well. So I really love to, um, the, 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 the hindrances are one of my, I mean, I love all the Dharma, but there's something about the hindrances and the trickiness of it in terms of the significance of understanding and working with them and our ability to actually uh, gain some practice and mastery with both concentration and insight. Like you can't 
really achieve concentration and insight unless you have familiarity and um, are weeding out those hindrances. You know, and they come upon us um, in many subtle ways as well as in many significant ways. You know? So from the Dhammapada, mind is the forerunner of all things. If one speaks or acts with an impure mind, suffering follows, like the wheel that follows the foot of the ox. Mind is the forerunner of all things. If one speaks or acts with a pure mind, happiness follows, like the shadow that never leaves. So clearly I want you to be here imagining that you're at my book reading. And I'm reading the first chapter of the book. Because I'm going to read this, y'all. I ain't even going to try to pull it forward. <laughs> this mind doesn't work that way right now. So get comfortable and I'll do my best uh, to bring it to life for you. So the Buddha taught the Dharma in many different ways. We can get a clear sense of his primary teachings through listening to his words and the various summaries he gave. Bhante Gunaratana says, the purpose of meditation is not to achieve a perfectly serene and still mind, although it is a lovely state. It does not lead to liberation by itself. The purpose of meditation is to achieve uninterrupted mindfulness. Mindfulness and only mindfulness produce enlightenment. Distractions come in all sizes, shapes, and flavors. One of the categories of distractions is hindrances. They're called hindrances because they block the development of both components of meditation, mindfulness, and concentration. Because the word hindrance can have a negative connotation, and yes, we want to eradicate them or weed them out, but that does not mean that they are to be repressed, avoided, or condemned. Actually, that would just perpetuate them even more. See if you can picture this. Like, I feel a hindrance coming, and I run towards it with arms wide open. Yeah, because that's like letting me know there's some work to be done here. It's also letting me know that the mind is seeing clearly. Ah, I see you. I see you, doubt. I see you, aversion. Practicing mindfulness is easy. Remembering to do so is difficult. So, the hindrance, right? The dictionary. Something immaterial that interferes with or delays action or progress. Difficulty. A factor causing trouble in achieving a positive result or tending to produce a negative result. Deterrent. Impediment. Barrier 
roadblock, any condition that makes it difficult to make progress or to achieve an objective. So by now, most of you, if not all of us, have come upon many of the forces in the mind which can make it difficult to stay attentive to the present moment experience. Any of that going on? These forces run the gamut from weak to powerful. What we all have experienced to varying degrees is that we are hampered in our ability to remain mindful, to develop concentration, and to have clear insight. Our attention is pulled in many directions other than where we wish it to land and interferes with our effort to meditate. These distractions can actually come to offer the fodder through which we strengthen and deepen our practice. Even when we have the best of intentions to stay focused and present, these forces can propel us into states of preoccupation and distracted thinking. The good news is, these forces and challenges offer an opportunity for the deepening of practice and skill as meditators and are not bad distractions or personal failings. It is a part of the path of practice to be mindful of them. These forces can serve us by forming the basis for cultivating awareness and wisdom. So, you know, when you build a house, the house is as strong as the foundation. And one of the things that we're offering, particularly throughout this first week of this retreat, and yes, I'm including the two mothers out, this separation thing, like y'all were in a different retreat, you know, this is not that retreat that you all were in. You know, and it's an opportunity to rediscover transition, to rediscover how it is to enter in, to rediscover not knowing, even though you have that behind you. So the house is only as strong as the foundation, right? So what we're offering this week and the hindrances are an integral part of that foundation for practice. So the more engaged and willing we are to jump in fully, and work with these fetters, the stronger and deeper our practice will be to carry us through to freedom. It is a necessary progression of practice to investigate the forces of distraction and agitation with the utmost care and honor, for they lay before us the opportunity to break through the cloud of confusion and reactivity that our minds frequently dwell in. We must understand their true nature and how they work as it is much easier to find freedom from something when we know it thoroughly. The Majjhima Nikaya or the Middle Length Discourses of the Buddha translated by Bhikkhu Nanamoli and Bhikkhu Bodhi says, a direct training in concentration is on the abandonment of the five hindrances. The five hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness, remorse and doubt, 
are the primary obstacles to meditative development. The primary obstacles to meditative development and their removal is therefore essential for the mind to be brought to a state of calm and unification. Joseph Goldstein in One Dharma says, Consciousness is the knowing factor of the mind. Knowing does not refer to knowledge we acquire about something, like learning to drive a car or taking a course in chemistry, but rather to the immediate, direct cognizing of the object itself. Knowing a sight, a sound, a thought. We may hear a sound, then think, bird. The first moments of consciousness would be the knowing of the sound, followed by moments of knowing the thought. Moments of consciousness are often clouded by the mental factor of delusion, which is characterized by fixation, contraction, attachment, or resistance, not seeing things as they are. We call this delusion of mind ignorance. Sometimes consciousness is free of attachment and clinging, free of delusion. This mind is called wisdom mind, awareness. Most of us are familiar with experiences of the mind being clouded by ignorance. It is when we are caught up in wanting attachment, fear, or aversion when we are lost in thoughts of past and future. It is as if our experience of sensations, thoughts, and emotions arise with Velcro loops, and delusion is the Velcro hook. When delusion is present, we stick. The Buddha used many terms to describe these states of delusion hindrances, defilements, floods, taints, bonds, and fetters. It is important to notice the contraction of mind when these deluded states are present because each of these moments is really a moment of suffering. All of these hindrances Desire, anger, sloth and torpor, restlessness, doubt are mental factors. They are not self. They are not some personal failures of our ability or our capacity to fully inhabit the practice. They are impersonal factors functioning in their own way. In talking of the hindrances, one of the similes given illustrates the effect of these different obstructions in the mind. Imagine a pond of clear water. Sense desire is like the water becoming colored with pretty dyes, green, blue, red, yellow. We become entranced with the beauty and the intricacy of the color and so do not look to the depths. Anger, ill will, aversion is like boiling water. 
Water that is boiling is very turbulent. You cannot see through to the bottom. This kind of turbulence in the mind, the violent reaction of hatred and aversion, is a great obstacle to understanding. Sloth and torpor is like the pond of water covered with algae, very dense. One is totally unable to penetrate to the bottom because you can't see through the algae. It is a very heavy mind. Restlessness and worry are like a pond when wind swept. The surface of the water is agitated by strong winds. When influenced by restlessness and worry, insight becomes impossible because the mind is not centered or calm. Doubt is like the water when muddied. Wisdom is obstructed by murkiness and cloudiness. Perhaps in your retreating you've heard somewhere at some point someone tell the story of the Buddha on the night of his awakening and his interaction and engagement uh, with Mara, the Buddhist personification of temptation and distraction, comes to him time and time again in an attempt to undo the newly dawned freedom the Buddha achieved. Each time Mara arrives, the Buddha simply says, Mara, I see you. After this happening time and time, like, right? He didn't get flustered. I see you, Mara. Get out of here. I see you, Mara. You know, we're not going to play this game together. Each time Mara arrives, the Buddha simply says, Mara, I see you. After this happening time and time again, Mara relinquishes the notion that the Buddha will be turned around and flees. Recognizing Mara, seeing Mara for the empty illusions and deluded thoughts and perceptions was effective in bringing freedom from Mara. Rumi says many things, and this being one of them, liberation through non-clinging. Live in the nowhere you come from, even though you have an address here. Although there can be numerous hindrances, there are five traditionally identified as particularly important for those of us walking this path. Sooner or later, all of us will have to address the hindrances. Often, it is sooner and later. Because of how frequently they occur, these obstructing mind states should not be viewed as unfortunate occurrences, but rather as an opportunity to strengthen mindfulness, concentration, understanding, and non-clinging. Without dedication to working with the hindrances, practices can be derailed. Here's another simile for you. There are five impurities of gold impaired by which it is not pliant and wieldy, lacks radiance, 
is brittle and cannot be wrought well. What are these five impurities? Iron, copper, tin, lead, and silver. But if the gold has been freed from these five impurities, then it will be pliant and wildy, radiant and firm, and can be wrought well. Whatever ornaments one wishes to make from it, be it earrings, a necklace, or a golden chain, it will serve that purpose. Similarly, there are five impurities of the mind impaired by which the mind is not pliant and wieldy, lacks radiant lucidity and firmness, and cannot concentrate well upon the eradication of the taints. What are these five impurities? They are sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. But if the mind is freed of these five impurities, it will be pliant and wieldy. It will have radiant lucidity and firmness and will concentrate well upon the eradication of the taints. Whatever state realizable by the higher mental faculties one may direct the mind to, one will in each case acquire the capacity of realization if the other conditions are fulfilled. So here the five hindrances are sensual desire, the mind wanting something pleasurable, grasping after sense objects. This hindrance keeps the mind looking outward, searching after this object or that in an agitated and unbalanced way. Sensual desire can be for food, comfort, physical and sexual experiences, sounds, smells, sights, and other sense pleasures. It is the very nature of sense desires that they can never be satisfied. There is no end to the seeking. Living without wants, wishes, motivations, or aspirations is impossible. However, to approach freedom we must emphasize skillful desires and distinguish the healthy, useful desires from the unhealthy ones. We become wise about harmful desires and understand the more we value freedom and its pleasures, the more likely freedom guides us in deciding which desires or aspirations we allow to guide our lives. Ill will or aversion. The mind is filled with dislike. The condemning mind. Anger, fury, resentment, hatred, annoyance, irritation, vexation, loathing, spite, resistance, avoidance, criticalness, boredom, complaining, grudge, 
and fearfulness. A lot of synonyms for aversion, huh? It is the mind that strikes against the object and wants to get rid of it. The mind is burning with desire or burning up. Wisdom is acquired through familiarity and one of the tasks in mindfulness practice is to become familiar with the hindrance. With ill will, this requires a willingness to shift attention away from whatever we are hostile towards and instead turn it towards the experience of ill will itself. So um, I'm going to just tell a little story that some of you that were with me back in uh, November, I think heard this story, I'm not sure, um, but it's a good one. But it's just an example of how aversion can have us end up in places where we're like, what the hell am I doing here? What was I thinking about, or better yet, not thinking about, that I ended up here? So, my husband is a Vietnam vet. And as a young man from Brooklyn, he enlisted in the service because after high school, he didn't know what to do. You know, a young black man in the 60s, you know, coming from the hood. No real uh, aspirations for a career. So he went into service. Uh, and he said, well, you know, if I enlist, I'm not going anywhere too bad. So he did his basic training, and he got uh, trained as a mail clerk, as a clerk. So he was trained administratively, like he was going to work administratively in the service. And after basic training, his first deployment was to Alaska. So Alaska, you know, it's like daytime for like months, and then it's nighttime for like months, and it's cold, and this is a Brooklyn boy. So he's in Alaska, he's doing his thing, following, you know, being the clerk, delivering the mail, stuff like that. And uh, it was really getting to him. The cold and the endless daylight was really getting to him. And so he was struggling with that and uh, hearing all the aversion. He was struggling with all of that and uh, didn't know quite what to do. And one morning he woke up and they have these really special shades because of the light. So they're really darkening. And he pulled the shade up, and there was a moose standing at the window. And he said that the horns or whatever, the, the things on the moose was like this. And he was like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm out. <laughs> so he went to um, a friend of his um, who was the assistant to whatever the level is um, in the service where you can give orders about where someone's going. He went to me and said, look, man, I got to get out of here. I don't, you know, I don't just get me somewhere. So the guy said, okay, Williams, I'll see what I could do. So he went to talk to the lieutenant or the captain or whoever it was. And uh, the captain said, well, you know, really, right now, the only place we're deploying people to is Vietnam. So the lieutenant came back and told Williams, well, you know, I can, I can get you some transfer orders, but the only place that I can get them for you is to Vietnam. So Williams, that's my husband, Samaj is his first name, Williams' last name, said, well, I'm a clerk. 
I'll go, I'll be in the office, people will love me because I'm going to be delivering the mail, you know, all the, all the rest of the soldiers will be looking forward to me being there and it won't be too bad, it's hot, I like hot. So he said, all right, well, I'll take it, I'll take that transfer and I'll go to Vietnam. So here he heads off to Vietnam and he's in the clerk's office one week. And the sergeant comes in and says, Williams, we're changing your title. You're going to be a radio operator. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about the service, the radio operator is the one walking around with the target on his back. Because the radio is what communicates to everybody. <laughs> and he thought about it, and, you know, he's in the service. So there was only two choices, which was to, what do you call it when you leave, when you desert, AWOL, and have to deal with the repercussions of that. Or you can go be a radio clerk. And so he chose to be the radio man. And uh, he was in combat for a year and uh, made it out. And not going to tell you any other stories about that. But um, made it out with a great sense of humor and a magnanimous soul and heart. Uh, so he's well and... Um, he still, <laughs> he still tells that story in wonder. Not really connected into the aversion, right? That ended him up in positioning him the possibility of losing his life. Not just losing his life, but my, my husband is a very gentle... Now, he wasn't taking anyone's life either. So he had to navigate that for a year. We were talking last uh, week, a week or two ago, and uh, we've been married, uh, this is 2019, we've been married uh, 29 years this year. And uh, we were talking last week, and he said, you know, looking back, he's uh, in his early 70s, he's going to be 71 this year, and he said, you know, I really never expected to come home. So here he is, uh, what? 55, 60 years after that experience and that's just sinking in for him that he never expected to make it home. So that's a kind of an extreme story about aversion. Hopefully no one in here um, has found themselves in circumstances where they made a choice based on aversion or ill will or anger um, that's put them in harm's way. So we want to examine the beliefs that underlie ill will. How do we believe aversion will be beneficial or justified? What assumptions do we believe about how things are supposed to be? What might ill will be covering? Frustrated desire, fear, embarrassment. With no aversion to aversion, mindfulness can make us independent of aversion. Then there's sloth and torpor. I've been hearing a lot about that. The mind is sleepy or too apathetic to see clearly. Sluggish, laziness of mind, a mind that is heavy or dull. 
Sloth and torpor can arise from the absence of desire and aversion. The lack of stimulation that accompanies constant desire and aversion can be deflating and even depressing. That's kind of like an oxymoron, isn't it? The way it's hooked up like that. Sloth and torpor are forces in the mind that drain vitality and limit effort. Sloth manifests as a physical absence of vitality. The body may feel heavy, lethargic, weak. When this hindrance is strong, there is not even enough mindfulness to know we've fallen into it. Sloth and torpor refers to low energy states related to an attitude we are holding. Discouragement, frustration, boredom, indifference, giving up, hopelessness, and resistance are some of the mind states that cause sloth and torpor. Although sloth and torpor may be present, it does not mean energy is not available, but just that we're not accessing it. Our evaluations and reactions lead us to lethargy. Learning how to mindfully watch our thoughts instead of actively participating in them can effectively stop them from draining our energy. Restlessness and worry. The mind is too anxious to stay steady. Regret, agitation, jumping from one object to another without any mindfulness. A state of over-excitement. What are some of the causes and conditions that give rise to restlessness? Electronics. The internet. Overstimulation from social media. Not taking enough time to pause. The tyranny of time overextension. Dissatisfaction. Frustrated desire. Pent-up aversion are common causes of agitation. Being mindful of the cause is helpful. Paying attention to the agitation as opposed to the object that has caused the agitation. When pain is the cause of the restlessness, the pain should be addressed. I had that conversation with a couple of you today. Physical, emotional, psychological, trauma. When thinking is a big part of restlessness, it can be useful to relax the thinking muscle. It can be useful to cultivate contentment, breathe through the restlessness for calming, releasing tension or constriction in breathing can be relaxing. The more attention given to breathing, the less attention is avail available to fuel restlessness and worry. Very simplistically, it's also really important to have enough exercise, sleep, 
good nutrition, drinking lots of water, because lack thereof encourages restlessness. So one of the antecedents or one of the components of restlessness actually has to do with homeostasis and balance. So that's something to keep in mind. Then there's doubt. Skeptical doubt. A lack of faith that you can stay mindful of what is true and to act skillfully. Doubt freezes the mind and undercuts our ability to cope with all the other hindrances. Why did I come here? What am I doing? The weather is really affecting my joints. I can't do it. It's too hard. Doubt distances us from the present moment. So bringing mindfulness can be helpful in shifting away from doubt. Although there are seven factors included in the five hindrances, four are always paired. Gil Fransdale, one of our colleagues and teachers, suggests that one explanation for this is that the paired items represent closely related physical and mental factors. The first two hindrances are related by being opposite qualities, desire and ill will. They are both forms of wanting, although opposite sides of the same coin. Desire seeks to have something, whereas ill will wants to push something away. In a similar way, the third and fourth hindrances are related by being opposite qualities. They both relate to or involve levels of energy or vitality. Sloth and torpor are low energy states while restlessness and worry are high energy states. The fifth hindrance of doubt is not specifically connected to any of the others. However, doubt is often intertwined with any combination of the other hindrances and can and does cast its influence in many ways on our whole being. When the hindrances are strong, we lose our ability to see clearly. The hindrances are not only present in meditation, but as you've heard, actually permeate our daily lives to varying degrees and can cast a powerful influence on our lives. The Buddha taught that our minds are usually clouded with one or more of the hindrances. But because this is such a normal experience, we hardly notice it. He also said that the mind's natural state is clear, luminous, and free of hindrance. Mindfulness practice returns the mind to this free state. The second of the two similes that the Buddha used to describe how the hindrances impact the mind suggests that underlying emotional tone of being caught up in the hindrance and what it's like to be free of them. 
Suppose a person were to take a loan and undertake business, and their business were to succeed so that they could repay all the money of the old loan, and there would remain enough extra to maintain a family. Then, on considering this, they would be glad and full of joy. Or, suppose a person were afflicted, suffering, and gravely ill, and their food would not agree with them, or their body had not strength. But later they would recover from the affliction, and their food would agree with them, and their body would regain strength. Then, on considering this, they would be glad and full of joy. Or, suppose a person were imprisoned in a prison house, but later they would be released from prison, safe and secure, with no loss to their property. Then, on considering this, they would be glad and full of joy. Or, suppose a person were a slave, not self-independent, but dependent on others, unable to go where they want, but later on they would be released from slavery, self-dependent, independent of others, a freed person, able to go where they want. Then, on considering this, they would be glad and full of joy. Or, suppose a person with wealth and property were to enter a road across a desert, but later on they would come across over the desert, safe and secure, with no loss to their property. Then, on considering this, they would be glad and full of joy. So, too, when these five hindrances are unabandoned in oneself, we see them respectively as a debt, a disease, a prison house, slavery, and a road across a desert. But when these five hindrances have been abandoned in presenting that as freedom from debt, healthiness, release from prison, freedom from slavery, and the land of safety. When the mind is not obscured by hindrances, attachment doesn't arise, and your mind is willing and able to be with what is. Although it is probable that this state has showed up many times in your life, if you are unaware and not mindful when it is occurring, the impact is minimal. In those moments in which your mind is free from hindrances, you are not in a reactive state. You are seeing things more clearly and have access to intuitive wisdom. Strong addiction to sense pleasure or ill will can cause us to do things and make choices we regret for decades or even a lifetime. Actions motivated by the hindrances can be detrimental to ourselves, to others, or even to the whole society.
If we purify the mind of the hindrances, then the mind is no longer stiff and rigid. It becomes fluid, wieldy, and can be shaped into something beautiful. The pressure of ill will may cause us to act before reflecting carefully on the consequences. This is why Buddhist teachings strongly encourage people not to make decisions while under the influence of a hindrance. Also, just want you to think about this as a possibility, that the hindrances can also be seen as strategies which we use when we are challenged or uncomfortable, i.e. conditioning of defenses that have been with us for a long time. And if you take a look over this next week, over these next three weeks, over the next month, um, as you work with the hindrances in your practice, you'll probably come to discover that there may be an inclination towards tendencies. Like I know for myself, the tendencies of the hindrances that impact me most often are aversion and doubt, you know. And even sitting up here reading this um, Dharma talk, and I was in teacher training along with Oren five or six years ago, and I was uh, not as comfortable, not that I'm totally comfortable now, with doing Dharma talks, but um, the anxiety was so bad for me that I said to myself, if it's going to be like this, I'm not doing this. But kept moving forward, had a lot of support from a lot of places. The second Dharma talk that I gave, I think, I don't remember if it was here, I think it was here. The second Dharma talk that I gave in my career uh, after I gave the talk, like the day after, I got feedback from my mentor that they had gotten feedback from another teacher that was requesting that I not read my Dharma talks. How do you think that was a setup for doubt? <laughs> so here I am four years later or four and a half years later and this is still one of the pieces that I haven't quite deconstructed enough yet, but deconstructed it enough so I'm not so anxious that I can sit up here and read my Dharma talk, and that's how it is, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Remember, all the hindrances are impermanent mental factors. However, when caught in the web of not seeing, we believe they are fixed and permanent. If we are mindful of them when they arise and do not react or identify with them, they pass through the mind without creating any disturbance. So there's kind of some observations and some understandings I've come to in terms of working with the hindrances. And I'm going to just give one last bit, um, which is it's really helpful for some people to have acronyms and to have kind of structural ways to understand some of this stuff. So I'm going to give you an acronym, BELLA, B-E-L-L-A, 
which Gil Fransdale offers us as a way to take the hindrances into our mindfulness practice, which consists of five different aspects. This tool, this acronym, is BELLA, which translates into English as beautiful. He says the acronym describes the mind that is revealed when the hindrances are overcome and mindfulness becomes strong. Bella, B, B E, B. When a hindrance appears, it is useful to first let it be, not acting on it or reacting to it. It is the training in staying present for our experience without being in conflict with it. No need to be discouraged, angry, or self-critical when faced with a hindrance. Letting a hindrance be is a practice of finding an inner stability in the face of destabilizing forces. Letting it be involves recognizing and acknowledging the hindrance. The clearer the recognition and mindfulness, the more we pull ourselves out of the web of confusion and non-clear seeing. This brings great freedom. Recognition also ensures our practice stays honest and realistic. Bella, E, examine. This is said to be the most important aspect of our practice with the hindrances. Exploring the hindrances involves recognizing the components, its physical, energetic, cognitive, and motivational aspects. For example, if we take sense desire and deconstruct it physically, it may be experienced as a leaning forward, a tightening of the solar plexus, or a sense of lightness. Energetically, it may involve pressure, a sense of restlessness, or an upsurging of vitality. Emotionally, since desire may invoke pleasant emotions like delight, excitement, or eagerness. Cognitively, since desire may involve beliefs and stories we tell ourselves. And motivationally, since desire may come as a strong impulse to act or cling or fix. Bella, L, lesson, L-E-S-S-E-N, lesson, lesson its strength. Relaxing both the body and mind are good ways to lessen the intensity of strong bouts with a hindrance. If a hindrance is overwhelming, lessening its power might require removing yourself from the situations that reinforce it or direct one's attention to something that has a calming effect. Focusing on an antidote to a hindrance can be helpful as well. For example, cultivating loving kindness 
can help lessen ill will. Bella, L, let go. Once we understand a hindrance, it can be appropriate to let go of it. For example, letting go of the thinking that perpetuates the hindrance. This ability to let go of the hindrance increases with practice. Letting go is like a muscle which grows stronger with practice and time, like a gym for the mind. Bella, A, appreciate. When a hindrance is no longer present, it is useful to take time to experience its absence, to be mindful and present without being hijacked by a hindrance is a joy. Relief that arises when the mind is free of hindrances is a delight. Unhindered attention is a treasure. From the listening to the heart by Tanisara and Kitasaro, unwise attention is what arouses sensual desire and the other hindrances. And wise attention is what dispels them. With practice, mindfulness eventually becomes stronger than the power of the hindrances. Choosing to be mindful of a hindrance is a significant move towards being free of it. One of the most significant turning points in practice with the hindrances is when we choose freedom over being hindered. So I'll close with a little message from the Thai forest monk Ajahn Chah. In ending, I wish that you continue your journeys and practice with much wisdom. Use the wisdom that you have already developed to persevere in practice. This can become the ground for your growth, for the deepening of yet greater understanding and love. Understand that you can deepen your practice in many ways. Don't be lazy. If you find yourself lazy, then work to strengthen those qualities which overcome it. Don't be fearful or timid. If you are timid in practice, then work with your mind so that you can overcome that. With the proper effort and with time, understanding will unfold by itself. But in all cases, use your own natural wisdom. This that we have spoken of today is what I feel is helpful to you. 
And if you really do it, you can come to the end of all doubt. You come to where you have no more questions, to that place of silence, to the place in which there is oneness with the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, with the universe. And only you can do that. So do it already. Ajanta. From now on, it is up to you. Thank you for your listening. I hope my contribution was helpful. Let's sit for a moment. Let the practice release your heart from fear. Let the quieting of your mind and the clear seeing of the truth release you from confusion and clinging. Let understanding and acceptance of the way things are in this moment flower the fruit of wisdom. Have a good night of practice, whether that means coming back at nine or going off to your comfortable place. Opportunity to practice until the moment your eyes close and you shift into other realities. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.